Hey, this is Kerwin Santiago, pastor of Social Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I pray that this message blesses you and helps you grow in your faith to become more like Jesus. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. Amen, somebody. Come on, somebody. Don't, don't act like you guys are all humble. No, I don't like money. You know you like money. You like it. Money's good. Money is useful. We need it. The problem is when we make money our God. When we put our trust in money. And so we don't, in reality, try to be these things in this list of the Beatitudes. Are you with me this morning? I'm, I'm laying the foundation. I'm growing somewhere. So I hope you're, you know, listening to me. We don't try to be poor. We don't try to be mournful. You know, it says, blessed are those that mourn. You don't try, you don't go around saying, well, I'm now because I want God's favor, I need to go around crying. You don't go around doing that. Unless the occasion calls for it. Unless um, you are going through a moment of suffering. You don't go around and try to be persecuted. You know? Jesus said here at the end of the Beatitudes, you know, that those that, blessed are those that are persecuted for my name. But you don't go around trying to be persecuted. No, I believe that these are simply just the result of you following God. And they are results that might come to you and might take place in your life because you have decided to follow Jesus. You know, in many cases, there are people, and I know of times in the history where people, because they have devoted their lives to God or even demonstrated that they have faith in Jesus, that because of it, they have lost jobs. They have been affected economically. They have, on purpose, been persecuted, and therefore, these things, they have been oppressed, and therefore, these issues that have come to them because of them following Jesus as a result have created or have made them to be these people who are poor, who are mournful, or who are persecuted. You see, there are other beatitudes in this list as we'll go through them, Matthew chapter 5 from verse 3 all the way to verse uh, 12. There are other Beatitudes here which speak of being merciful, and you can be merciful. That you can be. You can show mercy. Um, you can be meek. You can hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can try and be pure of heart. You can definitely be a peacemaker, hopefully be one of those. But listen, here's the thing. Whatever the reason for why someone finds themselves being one of these things is clearly that they have the favor of God. Whatever the reason for why someone finds themselves being one of these, one thing is clear, and is that they are blessed. They are favored by God. 
And that's interesting because we normally would not consider these qualities in people as something to desire. You don't look at somebody who's suffering and say, man, I wish I could be like that. You don't look at somebody who's being persecuted and oppressed and you say, man, how can I achieve that goal in my life? You know what I'm saying? You don't look at the poor and say, that's what I was born to do or born to be. Those are, these are not qualities of things that you want in your life. They're not qualities in people that you look up to. And the culture actually places favor on people who have the opposite qualities. You see, it's not the poor that we favor and we look up to. It's the rich and the well-off. It's not the more, the ones who mourn that we look up to and we favor. It's those that are happy. Life is about how can I be happy? How can I be joyful? It's the pursuit of happiness. It's not those who are meek that we say, I want to be like them. Our culture favors those that are prideful, arrogant. Maybe even confident, you know, we say it this way better because arrogant sounds bad. They're, they're, they're confident in themselves. Yeah, man, that's somebody to look up to. We don't look to people who are thirsty and hungry for righteousness and justice. No, we like people who are self-centered. You know, that's what our culture is about. That's who we favor. You know, it's all about us, our culture tells us. You know, you got to look out for number one. That's what's important. It's not, see, it's not the pure in heart that we look up to. It's those that by appearances, you know, by impressions, they make themselves out to be something that maybe they're not. You know, it's all about first impressions, is it not, in our culture? It's about your appearance, what you show off. You know, it doesn't matter how you feel. You know, we, we even say in church sometimes, you know, when you come to church, you know, it doesn't matter how you feel and it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't, just praise the Lord. And, because it's all about appearances, man. Even if you're doing bad, you know, we have this saying, it's fake it till you make it. So our, our culture values the opposite of all these things. It's not about being pure in heart. It's not about being righteous and loving justice and looking out for others. It's about being ruthless, you know. It's about getting to the top. It's about climbing that ladder, no matter the cost, no matter who you have to run over, no matter who you have to betray. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody this morning. You know, our culture values the opposite. So when we read this list of these people that are favored by God, these people 
that are part of God's kingdom. Sometimes we question, man, am I even that? Could I even consider myself part of God's kingdom? Considering that maybe a lot of these things I do not display in my own life. I'm just speaking for myself, so don't feel like you're talking about me. But the question becomes with the first beatitude, and today is my second part on the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? And the poor in spirit are those who are economically needy and are spiritually dependent. They're economically needy and they are spiritually dependent. In other words, despite their lack of resources, listen to me, despite their lack of resources, despite their lack of money, despite their lack of possessions and religiosity, they recognize their need for God and they trust God. They don't have riches to trust in. They don't have religious works that they can depend on to ease their consciousness. I told you last week, you know, that we can be try, we can become rich in spirit. We can become rich spiritually by doing good works. I'm saying that that's what we believe. I'm not saying that that's the truth. And, and so we go about our lives thinking, man, if I did something wrong, the way for me to ease my conscience and feel better before God and feel like I have God's favor is to pray. If I pray on my knees, man, I scrape those knees or, you know, I, I get up and I'm limping. I feel good, man. I paid a price. You know, if I gave some money in the offering bucket and it kind of hurt me, man, that was tough to give. That was a sacrifice, yeah. You know, I did something where I feel like through that spiritual work, I gained some spiritual value. And through it, I, I gained access to God's favor and his kingdom. And so we, we don't realize it, but sometimes our spiritual works, we use them to try and ease our conscience and feel good about our position before God. And that's exactly what Jesus was coming against. With this list, he's saying, starting with the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, there is nothing that you can do. Doesn't matter how much you pray, how far you crawl on your knees. It does not matter how much offerings you give. Those things can never gain salvation for you. Salvation can only come through putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And so the poor in spirit, they don't have even riches, economic riches to trust in. They don't have money 
to fall back on. And because they have nothing in their lives, whether spiritually or economically, the only thing that they have left to do is to depend on God. That's the only thing that they can do. So, they have nothing to offer. They are needy and they are powerless. And they recognize it. You see, and that's one of the most important things that we need to know about the poor in spirit. That it's not necessarily about the status of being poor. It's about the recognition and acknowledgement of your need. And there is a saying that goes, God helps those who help themselves. And many people believe that that comes from the Bible. God helps those that help themselves, you know. So, hey, listen, God will help you, but you got to put your, you got to do your part. You know what I'm saying? And we really believe that. People think that that's really biblical, but in reality, the Bible contradicts this. Because instead, can I tell you something this morning? The Bible suggests that God helps those who cannot help themselves. who God helps. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody here this morning. I know, I know I'm mellow this morning. But listen, God doesn't help those that help themselves. That's not what the Bible shows me. The Bible shows me that God in reality is for those and helps those that can't help themselves. And the story of Hannah in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is a reminder that God comes to the rescue of those that are in need. Hannah was barren. She could not have child. And the Bible says that she went to the temple and she prayed and she pleaded out of her need, out of her poverty, out of her lack. She pleaded for God to give her a child. And God did. But here's the thing. That what drove Hannah to God. What drove her to her knees, what drove her to seek God was her pain. Her pain drove her to the house of the Lord. It was her need. So people have recognized and they have read the Bible that God, your God and my God, and I hope that you can say amen after I say this, 
he appears to be partial toward the poor and needy. He, your God and my God, has a big heart for the poor. Can, let me say it this way. Your God and my God loves the poor and needy. The ones that we look at like this. And we keep at a distance. Our God is close to us. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't love all people and even the rich, for he does. But throughout scripture, we see that God takes a special interest in the weak, in the downtrodden, and in the vulnerable. The one that gave birth to the Savior was a young, humble, poor woman. Jesus was born in a manger, in a cave. So in other words, can I just tell you this this morning without you twisting it or getting it wrong? There is a benefit in being poor. And you're like, Pastor, didn't you just tell us not to only poor? The benefit in being poor is that it can lead a person to depend on God in a way that someone who has Plenty will never depend on God. Come on, can I get an can I can I preach to somebody this morning? I told you last week, man, I've been, I've been to other parts of the world. I've been to South and Central America. And I've been to places that are where there's poverty. I've been to Haiti. And you see how people they worship and they seek God like there's no tomorrow. Because they have nothing else. I'm not telling you to be poor. But what I'm telling you is that our Bible teaches us in a way that God appears to favor those who acknowledge their poverty. Be it material or whatever. God answers the prayer of the one who acknowledges their need for God. And so, how do you become poor in spirit? Well, the answer is you don't. Because being poor in spirit is the result of two things. You want to you wanna hear them this morning? Number one, it's the result of acknowledging your need for God. Just simple as that. You see, it's not about the status of being poor. It's not about the haves and the have-nots. It's about acknowledging the acknowledgement 
of your need is the important thing. And sometimes it's hard for us to admit, to concede, to even confess that we can't save ourselves with our works. Because it's what we try to do. But it's not until we can admit and concede and confess that only Jesus can save us through his work that then we can be considered poor in spirit. Because the poor in spirit is the person who just simply admits before God, I know I can't save myself. I know that there's nothing good in me. I know that it doesn't matter how much I pray or how many offerings I give. Doesn't matter how many times I come to service and how much I sacrifice. Those things cannot save me. And it's the admitting of that. You getting to the point where you can acknowledge that. That makes you poor in spirit. So you can't, you can't be poor in spirit just because you say, I want to be poor in spirit. Because you can go off and sell all your riches and go sell all your properties and you can give it to all the churches. And you can go and live in a cave devote yourself to living for God. But if the motive is not correct, it's not going to get you anywhere. In fact, look, can I tell you this? That's not going to bring God's favor on your life. Pastor, how can you say that? Oh my God, that is such a huge thing. Because the only thing clearly that the Bible says that can save us from our sins and can make us be part of the kingdom of God is understanding that fact. That it doesn't matter what I do doesn't matter. No work spiritually can help me gain God's favor. Nothing. So can I tell you something this morning? Give up and stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to do it by your own works. Admit it. Fess up. Admit it. That you can't do it. Come to God. Not by saying, God, well, at least I'm not as bad as, you know, the other person, God. And you know, God, what I've done for you, God. All the things I've sacrificed, Lord. Like, we come to God thinking that we can gain and manipulate his favor our way because of the things that we do. When in reality, the only thing that can help us gain God's favor is when we come to God. And instead of saying, God, you know what I've done for you. God, you know my heart. Please do this for me because you know what I've done. Instead of doing that, that we say, God, I come before you. I have nothing but you. I recognize that my works are as filthy rags before you. That it doesn't matter how much I serve. It doesn't matter how much I give. 
that I cannot gain your favor by that or even salvation. The only way I can do it is by admitting today that there is nothing good in me. That I cannot save myself and I can't use anything or depend on anything to receive that salvation. But the only thing I can do is put my trust and my faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. And understand that because of what he did, I can receive that in my life. And I can declare I am saved. And I am favored. Not because I am great, but because he has been great. And when you acknowledge that in your life, we can say about you, you are poor in spirit. You are poor in spirit. But it's not just acknowledging your need for God. It's trusting and putting your confidence in Him. It's believing, listen to me, that God will act in a right and proper and effective way in your life. Can I say it this way? It's when you consider God and his word to be truthful and trustworthy. In other words, you say, I believe his promises are truthful and trustworthy. God does not lie. To trust God is to put stock in his promises. For you to believe that God is truthful in all he says. For you to believe that he is trustworthy. And when you put your trust in God and in his word in that way, then you can be faithful to God in the midst of oppression and in the midst of need and in the midst of lack. And then you can be considered poor in spirit. Because those who are poor in spirit, they believe God is truthful and his promises are amen. Yes, certainly. He will fulfill them. He does not lie. What he said, he will accomplish. I believe his word. And that's why the poor in spirit, even in the midst of their need, even in the midst of poverty, even in the midst of suffering and oppression, they continue to be faithful to God. They don't give up on their faith when things go bad. They don't give up on God when things don't go their way. Even when they're living in the worst of conditions and in the worst of situations, they continue to be faithful to God because they trust in his promises. They know him to be true. 
And they know that even if right now things are not right, God will in one day bring restoration and fulfill his word and his promises to them. So the poor in spirit, they don't give up. And they don't give in. <laughs> they continue going forward. How can you do this? Two ways. Can I tell you two ways? How can you do this? How can you acknowledge your need for God and learn to start depending on God even when you're going through lack and need and oppression in your life? Number one, by learning how to be content with what you have. countercultural because our culture tells us you need to be ambitious don't be content but you see if you want to if you want to be those considered to be part of God's kingdom there is one way of doing that learn to be content I'm not saying be lazy I'm not saying don't work I'm saying be content. Can you just be okay and satisfied with what you have? Even if God wasn't to give you more than what you already had, could you be faithful to God? Could you be content? If God wasn't to give you any more riches or answer any more requests, could you just simply be satisfied with where you are and where God has brought you to? Could you serve God where you are with what you have and be satisfied? That's what it means to be content. To say, God, I don't have it all, but you know what? I'm satisfied. Number two, it's not just to be content with what you have, but it's to share what you have with the poor. This is the heart of God. This is the kingdom, or theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And can I just tell you this, and I'm closing right now. Helping the poor. Helping the needy giving of our money to those in need. And usually, I'm going to say it this way. When I talk about sharing what we have, I'm not suggesting that we just help them by making them our projects. I'm sorry that I didn't come this morning to hype you up. I didn't come this morning to give you a little pep talk and be positive. I didn't come this morning to cheer you up and to tell you, you know, everything's going to be all right. But I came to preach the word. 
a lot of times I want to tell you something about this because I believe that this is essential to us as believers, helping the poor, giving what we have been able. That a lot of times we can be sitting here and say, well, I do that and not give. I give to the poor. I give, you know, when I see somebody in need. And I do that too. But you see, can I tell you something? Can we be honest? A lot of times we do that, but we do it by making the poor our projects. Instead of looking them at them as people. We look at them as projects. And we treat the poor as projects. We give them money, and that's how far we go. We feed them, and that's how far we go. But Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus is saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they are part of the church. Or they should be part of the church. Our problem is that when we see the poor, we just see them as projects to do. But not as people to include. And I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying right now, but person who is poor in spirit should form relationships with other poor, oppressed and needy people. We should include them in the community of the believers. Not just help them from far away. And James criticized the church because they were treating the rich differently than the poor. Paul criticized the church because the rich were taking communion without waiting for the poor to eat. And the church is supposed to eat together in the name of Jesus. You eat with those that you consider family and friends. I went to the a restaurant a while back with my wife and I decided to go to the bathroom and while I went to the bathroom um, I came back she said an old man sat down at the table in front of me it was a small table just for two people she said an old man sat down at the table and I was like what are you what are you doing here in other words, you don't belong. I don't know you. And the truth is that we sit at the table with those that we know. We don't eat with strangers. But the church 
church is different. We're to show hospitality by inviting others that are not like us to sit at our table. As Christians, I'm convinced that we need to recuperate the art of hospitality. Because in reality, we exclude more than what we include. We are closed up to receiving new guests at our table of fellowship, of worship, and of life. And the reason is because we have prejudices and judgments and social status that make us not be open to receiving new participants into our communities. When we do this, we forget that we were once before we came to Christ, we forget that we were also poor in spirit. Paul reminded the church in Corinthians. He said, don't you remember when you came to Christ? Many of you were not of noble birth. You did not come from a place of high standing. You were not born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Have you forgotten who you are, who you were. And all of a sudden now the church is in the midst of divisions. They're fighting, gossiping because they forgot who they were. Jesus did not choose you because of your abilities. He did not choose you because you were good. He chose you because of his grace it is a gift that's why in the parable of the great banquet the host invites all the guests to come people of importance and riches and they all reject the invitation and the servant comes to the master and says nobody's coming so he says go out into the streets and bring the poor and bring the needy and bring the crippled and the crippled and the poor and the needy are the ones that come and sit at the table of the Lord and they eat with him and they enter the kingdom and they participate of that great feast with the Lord. You know why? Because somebody else rejected their invitation. You know why we have been included into God's kingdom? Because somebody else said no to him. So when I come to Jesus and I sit at his table and I worship in church and I sing and when I serve or when I give to him 
or when I'm within the community of the believers, I have to always remind myself I don't deserve to be here. I'm only here by His grace and His favor. It's because He has been good. And if I'm here by grace, then maybe I should also let others sit with me at the table. Maybe we shouldn't be so exclusive. And so with that, I want us to take communion this morning. Stand to your feet. I know we won't have much time. I'm going to tell you something this morning as I close today that there are two ways as a church that we embody the presence of Jesus here on earth that we make his presence known number one it's through the communion the Lord's Supper. And number two is through our offerings that we give to God. <laughs> and so Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now listen, before you do it, I want to say something. The Lord's Supper or the communion serves as a reminder that we are all Jesus guests. We have all been invited participate at this table. You're not, we are not the host. We're not the ones that decide who comes in and who goes out. And so we can call ourselves Christians and children of God. We can call ourselves the church because we have been invited as guests. We weren't invited because of our social status our religiosity, we were invited by grace. It is a gift. Because others rejected him, I have been included. So we need, listen to me, church, we need to keep inviting people to the table of fellowship and open the congregation up to new participants. 
We need to keep welcoming the poor and the rich, the good and the bad, to the feast of God and graciousness. So, Lord, we pray right now before we take our communion. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here today. And on these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ. That we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ. One with each other. And one in ministry to the world. Until Christ comes in final victory. And we feast in the heavenly banquet. Take the bread. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may not eat. take the wine which is in reality juice just in case you're wondering and Jesus said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me you may now drink and now because we are guests at this table we are here by his grace. I want you to do something. The presence of Christ, listen. The presence of Christ is made known to us. It becomes real with, amongst us. And it brings unity. We become the body of Christ. So I want you to turn to somebody and hug them. And tell them, I thank God. thank God for your life we are one family we are one church we are the body of Christ can you tell them I love you in the Lord tell them I love you in the Lord brother and sister I love you in the Lord get ready to collect our offering which is the second thing that we do as those that are poor in spirit when we offer our gifts to God in the offering what we're doing is laying ourselves upon God's altar and when the offering is received Christian worship becomes very material and incarnational in other words, our faith does not demean the labors of the human hands. And our faith does not detach itself from the material. We serve a Savior who became flesh and dwelt among us. So the church sanctifies the material. When you give your offering, your money, we're asking God to transform those possessions and those achievements into his gifts. 
And so that's why the resurrected church is the most visible sign of the truth of the resurrection. When we give of our money and God takes it as a gift and transforms it, <laughs> we are doing it as people who have really been transformed. And so therefore, we are proof. We are proof when we share our money to give to the poor that we have been transformed by the power of the resurrection. Christ did rise from the dead. He lives in me and he lives in you. And when we give, we are simply showing off that proof. So God, we bring our gifts to you today and we offer it to you. Transform it. Take it. Use it for your glory and your honor. In the name of Jesus, we ask you this. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who give. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you did, please subscribe, share, take a screenshot, tag us, and I'll see you next time.